Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Helen. And this is the Squiggly Careers podcast, where every week we talk about a different topic to do with work and we share some ideas for action and tools to try out that we hope will help all of you, as well as us, navigate our squiggly careers with that bit more clarity, confidence and control. And this week's topic is friendship at work. And it is a topic that has had a lot of interest and we've had loads of questions from people when we talked about this being something that we were potentially going to cover And you know when you're like worlds aligned because you know you're going to talk about something? It was so interesting today. I was on LinkedIn and Reid Hoffman, one of the co-founders of LinkedIn, has been posting a bit more content because they've updated their book, The Startup of You, which apparently, Helen, came out 20 years ago. It's a bit daunting because we've got like an original copy. (laughs) Yeah. How old does that make you feel? I was like, oh my God. So anyway, that came out 20 years ago. They've updated it, so he's, you know, he's obviously getting his opinion pieces out on LinkedIn. And he's just delivered a speech at a graduation ceremony in the US. And it was so interesting because he chose to talk about friendship. So the thing Mm. that he picked as being important for career success, and he said, oh, lots of people ask him about, like, mentoring and for lots of other bits of advice. But his points are basically that friends, real friends, will tell you what you need to hear and also you can end up almost like all helping each other. And you know that sort of givers gain more type mindset. So we'll link to it as part of the show notes and when we post the podcast, just because it's worth a watch. And also he clearly doesn't want to do too much of a formal graduation ceremony. So I quite like the fact he sort of gets out from behind the sort of bit more formal pedestal and just starts chatting to everyone. So it's good. It's, it's worth 19 minutes of your time if you can uh, find a bit of a moment to press pause during your week. I think it's been quite useful as well to dive into this topic of friendship because yeah. I think it's something that I take for granted because Sarah and I haven't always worked together by any means, but we have worked on a, a side project that has now become our jobs together. We haven't for about... been friends. <laughs> well, I mean, we weren't ever not Aww. friends. Oh my gosh. Yeah, sorry. So Helen's had a really long day and I was I had a really long day. being a bit mean though. Yeah. yeah. So, so the background to that, everybody, we might not be friends for much longer. No, not that. Uh, the background to that is that um, we met like 20 years ago and we weren't instant friends because we're quite different people. But my point that I was trying to make was that <laughs> we 
work together for on something a side project that's now become our jobs for 10 years and have been friends throughout that time and I think therefore I sort of take the role of friendship at work for granted because I haven't necessarily needed loads of friends in the career that went alongside our side project because I sort of always had a go-to friend at Amazing If and I do have some really strong friendships outside of work too so it's been really interesting to reflect a bit more deeply on what friendship looks like at work and how it forms and why we need it just to maybe think about my own sort of career community and my overall life. <laughs> You're going to ditch me. Well, try I might, find I might some develop my friendship circles as a result of this podcast. <laughs> There's a really nice quote as well, actually. I came across the work of Julie Beck, who writes something called The Friendship Files, for the Atlantic, which is like really she interviews people about their friendships, quite interesting. And there's a quote in an article that she wrote, which says, friendship is a relationship with no strings attached, except the ones you choose to tie. One that's just about being there as best as you can. And there is a lot that in that definition. Quote. It's so nice, isn't it? So it's nice. like, you don't have to be, you know, you're like family. I mean, you're stuck with them. <laughs> <laughs> friendships you choose. And actually, it's about being you. You know, not the, like true friendships. You don't have to be some perfect version of yourself. It's just, you know, be there as best as you can. I think is a lovely, a lovely thing to aim for rather than feel like you have to be some superhuman friend to be of worth to other people. So there's lots of evidence and data to support why friendships at work are so important. You have a better work-life balance and you feel less stressed. And I suspect that's because you have that go-to person that Helen just talked about where when you probably feel like you need some someone to talk to or a different perspective, your friend can give you that. When you have friends within the organisation you're in, we are much better at information sharing and ideas, which also makes sense. You know, the conversations you have over coffee or where you're just chatting to somebody and it does predict performance. So I found this really interesting because Gallup, who do lots of engagement surveys, have a question that's something along the lines of like, you know, do you have a best friend at work? And they actually say that it's one of the questions that people are really sceptical about, which you, which you understand, because that feels like, oh, is that a thing that as an organisation we should be aiming for or encouraging? And I remember, because I've done these surveys in some of the organisations I've worked in, I remember answering that question. So when I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember answering that. And one of the things that they have found consistently is the people who answer yes to that, it predicts performance because you have a much stronger sense of affiliation, you take more positive action to benefit businesses. But unfortunately, for the majority of people, only about three or two in 10 strongly agree that they've got a best friend at work. So for most people, that isn't our reality. The thing that I find a bit challenging with that statement on the on the cynical <laughs> side, and I'm not normally yeah. the cynic, no, well, but as you happening? said, it's been a day. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's the term best friend at work. Mm. Like, feels I think, a bit like I'm back in primary school. Yeah, A, yeah. A, it feels like <laughs> in primary school. And also like that, I mean, it sets a pretty high bar, doesn't it? Have I got, have I got a friend at work versus a best friend at work? I yeah. think there's a different scale there. And when we were sort of diving into the detail of friendship, there are certain levels of friendship that are useful to reflect on. And think of a scale. And on one side, you've got a stranger. So someone that's like, I know of you. And this is like first impression friendship, if you like. And then you go all the way to the other end of the scale where a friendship is very intimate. And that's more like I connect with you, you know, personally, intuitively, 
and by intimate it doesn't necessarily mean you know it goes beyond that but it is like you that is sort of the level of best friend and then they say in the research like that's usually for the rest of your life and I think <laughs> best friend like the pressure an, I know like the pressure so I feel a little bit like mm, did they intentionally use the best friend or did they just slip that in there because I think it has a significant impact on the research outcomes I would guess it's very intentional you think yeah, so, Gallup, yeah, you? given their sort of, you know, research and insight base, they will have really thought about how they phrase and frame those questions. But like you, I wonder whether maybe it's also some cultural context, because I also find it uncomfortable that I feel like I'm being asked to choose. So like, oh, who's your, who's your best friend? <laughs> and yeah, that feels, it just feels a bit mean, doesn't it? But some of the reasons that friendship is challenging, there are three Ps that we've seen in what we've been reading. One of the P's is to do with the last couple of years, and that is proximity. And we do know that proximity helps us to create friendships, as in I'm sitting near someone or I see someone face-to-face regularly, and perhaps we end up forming a friendship because you go out for a coffee together or, you know, you end up just sort of seeing each other around and it's sort of that more informal friendship that over time builds. And when I think about some of the friends that I have had at work, often that is how they've happened. You know, it's not necessarily been the person you're working with the most. It's just been, oh, should we just go and grab a coffee? So if you need a bit of a break, then you get to know someone, then you get to know someone a bit more and you sort of either gel or, or you don't. You know, those relationships either get stronger or they perhaps stay a slightly more superficial. So proximity is an interesting one. And we're going to come on to some almost conundrums around friendship. And I think the remote hybrid one is an interesting one. So we're going to talk about that. And secondly, I'm cheating a bit with the P here because it's deprioritized. <laughs> I feel like I have turned into Helen. We've like switched roles today. I'm like, it must be three Ps. But we are finding that friendships are kind of becoming secondary to transactional relationships. And that's because we are busy and people view friendships as a luxury because we all recognize that really good friendships take time and attention to build. And so perhaps we just don't see work now as a place to make friends. Maybe we feel like, well, I have my friends outside of work and that's all I need. It's almost what you were describing, Helen. You're like, well, I've got I've got some other friends. So maybe that's not what I'm looking for in my day to day. And also I've got so much to do. I feel like I can't create that space for sort of almost like one more thing. And the last P is patience. So you need about apparently 80 to 100 hours of knowing someone, like spending time with someone before you get close to friendships. And apparently it's 200 hours is the number before you get to best friends. So also this is not something where you can like switch it on and just say, oh, well, if you do these things, it's going to equal friends. There's no friendship equation that we're going to be able to talk you through. And I also think there's got to be something about almost like not whether it's luck or just, you know, finding the right people in the right place. Sometimes you might just not get that chemistry. So it's an interesting question about how intentional can we be? about creating friendships at work and that's what we're going to go on to explore now and I was thinking you can't help can you but think about your own friendships when you're when you're doing this and again this sort of beacon of being a best friend and that being something Mm. quite hard to aim for because I think about the quality of my friends that I've had at work and I think there's there's a difference between sort of transitional friendships. So people you know being there for me as best as they could be if you take that earlier definition that we had that have been there in a particular company I work for at a particular time or who are maybe 
coming back off maternity leave at the same time as I was. And there was something in that shared experience, in that shared moment that made them a really important transitional friend for me. Now, are they a best friend for life? No. Were they very important and valuable to me in that moment? Yes. So I think there's this transitional friendships, which I think are really valuable and meaningful at those points in time in your career and life. And then I think there are more transformational friendships, which last far longer. And those are the ones where maybe you both grow together and you go through transitions in work and life and you support each other through them. But I think transformational friendships are few and far between. But I don't personally think that you should reduce the value of some of those transitional friendships too. No, I think you're right. I don't think it's as binary as well, if it's not a best friend, then it's not worth it. Yeah. Which actually you do start to think that. I think when you read some of the articles and some of the research, it sort of leads you in that direction. But then some of the ideas for action that we're going to talk about now, I think give more of that sense of, well, it is okay to have some friendships in the here and now without putting the pressure on ourselves to be like, (laughs) will you be my best friend? (laughs) So I think we've probably got to move away from that because I think that might hold us back a bit. (laughs) So let's talk about three interesting friendship career conundrums. So these came from all the different themes and topics that people were asking us. And we've tried to combine the ones that we think will be most helpful. So friendship conundrum number one is how can we create connections across remote teams? So maybe you're 100% remote or maybe you're thinking about hybrid, which most people are thinking about at the moment. So the idea for action here is to find deep fun. And deep fun is a bit of borrowed brilliance from some work by a researcher called Jacob Morgan. And the way that I learned about it is I was listening to Dan Coyle talk to Bruce, Bruce Daisley, on his podcast, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. And he talked about this idea of the difference between shallow fun and deep fun. And I mean, I was a bit prickly when I first heard about this because I was like, oh, I don't like any kind of fun to be forced on me (laughs) no to be forced on me not just any kind of well I always get a bit worried that my idea of fun is often quite different to everybody else's idea of fun so initially I was like "Mm, I'm not sure about this but essentially what Dan Coyle was talking about is we need to be considered about the experiences that we create for people in teams and in organizations and if we do that in a really interesting way and quite an experimental way it actually creates loads more opportunity for connection. So more shallow fun would be things like, oh, you know, like getting a drink after work Mm -hmm. or, you know, playing table tennis or whatever it might be. All of those sort of slightly cliche workplace fun things, all of which I think in the main I never want to do. Um, I'd rather be... so harsh. I would quite like to go for drinks after work with people as a way to form friendships. Yeah, I know know you would. I I just don't want to come. So, (laughs) Moving on. Yeah. But deep fun, actually, I, I'm I'm more motivated by. So see see whether you'd still want to do this or not, because I think this is perhaps it's probably a bit less you in terms of that sense of like fun and connection in an obvious way. But essentially, here what Dan Coyle is talking about is experiences where groups can volunteer to get involved in, and they're sort of shaping these experiences. So it could be a cross-functional group where you you know offer to get involved, or it could be a team where you just all agree to do something. So some of the examples, just to really bring it to life, because I sort of thought, okay, so what like, what would this look like? In some organisations, it can be hackathons. But what I liked about the example I was reading was one organisation did a HR hackathon where everybody got the chance to like rebuild the people processes. And then I was like, 
oh, imagine if you could sort of, that'd be a really good way of getting people to let go of the ladder and redesign some of the structures that might get in the way of doing that. I mean, you're brave, right, as a HR team to encourage this. Work. <laughs> and to basically let everybody sort of have a go at kind of picking something apart. Yeah. But equally, I was like, really interesting. And I can imagine people getting really involved in that. But the point was to like have fun with it to almost sort of let go of constraints and usual limitations. And, you know, the sort of day-to-day stuff that gets in the way. It's sort of creating a very different sort of experience. Or sometimes it can be things that affect everyone in an organisation, but a group sort of takes, like, takes the lead. So things like, you know, designing office spaces or designing, like, the food that you're going to make available for everyone. And one of the examples was team were put in charge of almost, like, sourcing the best coffee and the machine and how they were going to do all the drinks just like stuff like that where you go those things are important you know that's an important thing but a cross-functional group could definitely get together to do that a really obvious one I was thinking about I was thinking what would I do at the moment is I see in loads of workshops how hard people find kind of interruptions and getting distracted at the moment we call them distraction downfalls so I was like that would be an example of where you could create experiences as a group and say oh like what could we do what sort of kind of deep fun stuff could we try to minimize our distraction downfalls so you're sort of I guess setting a bit of a challenge and then you're really all taking ownership of what those experiences look and feel like and it's worth digging into it a bit deeper and having a read about some what some organizations have done because I just found it really interesting as a way of getting people together that felt very purposeful and meaningful but definitely outside of the day-to-day and it it definitely got me thinking I listened to this today and like I I want to think of more examples I was like oh what could we do in Amazing F and what might this look like and Dan Coyle's point was this is not the obvious stuff it goes a bit further than that and you almost need to work out well what are these challenges and they need to involve everyone they need to feel really inclusive so I don't think it's it's obvious to go oh it needs to be ABC but I think the principles make sense. And then you've got to figure out what does this mean to us in our organisation or in our team? So, reflecting so. on forming <laughs> friendships in remote teams, having listened to what you said, the bit I like about it is I think the default of going out for drinks, whether you're going to do that in person or remotely, I think plays to a certain group of people. It plays to extroverts, right? And they're actually sort of forming friendships with work people but outside of work and what we're really trying to think about here I think is how you form friendships inside of work it's a bit of a cop-out really to be like oh let's leave the work behind and just go have some drinks instead so I really like that this is sort of integrated into it and that it's perhaps more inclusive as a result of it Mm. and then I was also thinking about well when have I formed friendships sort of in work and I think it has been it hasn't like some of the things that you described there those sort of deep fun experiences do sort of feel nice to do but I think some of my most effective friendships have formed in need to do experiences so for example a project's gone wrong pull people together or we've got to launch this new thing by the end of the week or all you know it'll be disastrous or you know there's like basically these pressure points when people come together and it's been in those moments where you've had people using their skills supporting each other a bit of humor to overcome adversity that some kind of barrier has broken down that has resulted in like a benefit of a friendship forming and 
I was wondering, oh, those deep, fun experiences, do they create those points of pressure that, for me, have been helpful in forming friendships? If they do, great. And if they don't, what would you do differently? And I was um, reading about how managers could help this, actually. And one of the things that they could do is creating more co-lead collaborations. So, for example, let's say there's a project that needs to get done quickly or something that's got that point of pressure in. Rather than being like, Sarah, I know you're amazing at this, it being more like... Sarah, I think you and Helen would work together brilliantly on this. Can you spend a bit of time together and come up with a plan? And these sort of co-lead initiatives could also be ways, I'm not sure they count as deep fun, but they, if I just think about my experience of forming friendships, those sort of moments, like peak moments of pressure have often been the points in which we've kind of formed a friendship through it. Well, I think what you're trying to design, and I think design is the right word because you are trying to create these, I think, from what, what I've understood, it's quite meaningful experiences. Mm. And I think what you've described is a meaningful experience can be because there's a bit of pressure and there's something to deliver, but the point would still need to be, you'd have to have, ref- you'd have to reflect and think, oh, well, I did enjoy it. I did have fun, mm. which I guess some things that are highly pressured probably wouldn't be inclusively fun for everyone. Whereas the idea with something like hackathons or maybe doing fun experiments for a week on reducing distractions would maybe feel slightly easier to kind of include everybody in. So it's definitely one where I'm going to do a bit more reading about it and have a look at Dan Coyle's book, The Culture Code. I think it's cool because I think that's designed a bit like a workbook and we'll come back to it if we have kind of even more ideas to share. But I think hopefully the principle feels helpful and I think it's incredibly timely at the moment to think about how are we going to find these moments of deep fun and not to... I think your point about not defaulting to the obvious is a really Mm. important one. And try some things out. So don't view it as like, oh, I must get this right. And they did give a few examples as well when they were talking about this today of like, you might try some things and they might just fall a bit flat, but it's better to try and let it fall flat and then just see which ones work and then do more of those ones. I've got this like vision now of like friendships just falling flat on the floor. Yeah. Like, I just left, left, yeah, there sorry. Don't really like you much. (laughs) Bit harsh. Yeah. We have, it was a friendship. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So the second friendship conundrum that came up an awful lot was about how to manage a friend or how to manage yourself when you're being managed as a friend. And there were a lot of requests for this one. And people did actually share quite a lot of ideas for action. And I think when we talked about that scale of friendship earlier, I think this is also quite a useful thing to reflect on. As I mentioned on the scale of friendship, at one end you've got kind of strangers and at the other you've got intimate friends. But it's these bits in the middle that I think could create some complexities in terms of how you might respond to this situation of being managed by or being managed by a friend. The three bits in the middle of this scale are an acquaintance, so I know you loosely, a casual friend, so I like you, you're possibly showing them the best version of yourself at this point, they're not getting the full you, and a close friend, I understand you, which is like a strong bond of mutual trust. And I think perhaps, I don't know, I I think the further you go up the scale, the harder this could be to get right. Because if it's an acquaintance and I'm managing you, then there's not necessarily much disruption to our friendship there, if it's just I know you and now I manage you. But if it's like, I understand you, we've got trust that has formed in a different place at a different time and now I'm managing you or you're managing me, there's potentially, I think, more sources of conflict there, more sort of boundaries that you might be crossing. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's uh, it's one of those where it does... I was, I was thinking back to people I've managed and whether it was easier or harder in terms of where they are on that scale. Mm. So one of the things that Rob Joffe and Gareth Jones talk about in um, Why Should Anyone Be Led By You?, is what's your natural level of distance? How close do you automatically kind of want to get to people? And you and I were talking about this as we were preparing for today's podcast, and you were saying, oh, naturally you feel quite comfortable with a fair bit of distance, and almost that's sort of helped you. Whereas I think I'm the opposite, and I sort of naturally get closer and and really want to understand and connect with everybody, which creates different sorts of challenges. So it might also be worth just thinking about What's your natural closeness sort of distance? Like, where would you gravitate towards? Because that also might impact some of the actions that you take. Yeah, I agree. And also what you find harder. Mm. Like, if you're someone who naturally, like I am, goes to sort of, I understand you and I connect with you, then you'll find different things harder than if you're more in the, I know you, I like you, I think. Yeah, I think I'm definitely, I know you, I like you. Let's work (laughs) out how we work well. And that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) You really really are. (laughs) (laughs) this is a brutal it's a brutal one everybody okay so the idea regardless of whether you kind of value the close connections that Sarah has or whether you like me I know you I like you let's just get work done (laughs) is that the ways of working need to be established early and openly and then actually you kind of close any expectation gaps that might exist so if someone wants to be my best friend and I'm like oh no I just want to get some stuff done together or if somebody wants to work in a slightly different way you can kind of look at that quite quickly together and I think one of the important things that I was reading quite a lot about this because I could see it was a real kind of pressure point for people in the questions to us is that if your power dynamics change don't ignore or avoid that or feel a bit embarrassed about it so let's just use an example and say suddenly I become Helen's manager like oh suddenly we've gone from maybe being peers to I'm now in a more kind of senior position of power almost the worst thing that you can do is sort of go, oh, just sort of leave it unsaid and hope for the best. Because what you see time and time again is everybody regrets doing that. So 
you really want to avoid anything that feels like it's one rule for one and one rule for everybody else. So let's say I've got an existing team and then suddenly I'm promoted and Helen is now kind of part of that team and it feels like I treat Helen differently to other people because we were particularly good friends before. And so this is where I think Helen's point about ways of working that everybody is included in and is open to everybody makes a really big difference because it helps with that consistency and fairness. And I found a really good Miro board. Am I saying that right, Helen? Miro? I think it yeah. might be Miro, but I don't, Miro. I'm not. I'm not Miro I'm, or Miro. Just opinion. Yeah, Miro, I'm never, Miro, I'm never quite sure which one it is. <laughs> M-I-R-O. And we'll put a link to it. And this is, uh, Miro boards are really sort of virtual post-it note brainstorming tool is the way that I would describe it and they have really good templates on lots of different things so I was thinking oh we often talk about ways of working and I think it frequently gets missed or not not done and then when we do do it do we do it in a way that is like visually interesting and that we keep coming back to and that we can easily refer to and they actually have a teamwork canvas where you can go in and almost fill out the post-it notes. They're sort of ready for you. So you could all go in and contribute to it. And I thought the headers were just a really good place to start. So it was things like team rhythms, information communication, meetings, resources. And what I found fascinating was I've actually recently started a ways of working document for Amazing If because we've got more people working with us now. We sometimes have people working with us on projects. And I thought, well, what would they see or what could we give somebody to understand sort of our ways of working? And we don't really have anything written down. (laughs) So my instinct was to create a wiki, which is within Teams, within Microsoft Teams. But then I saw this and thought that just feels even better because of its ability to involve everyone, to make it dynamic, to keep changing things. Because I think as your team evolves, so will your ways of working. And so I think it just keeps it a really live document and something you can also refer back to. Because if you're then a manager or kind of being managed by your friend, if you've got this teamwork canvas where it's all laid out pretty simply in a straightforward way, yes, you might still have to have difficult conversations, but at least you've got a point of reference to keep coming back Mm. to versus, you know, getting into the world of, oh, opinions and I didn't know that or things that maybe you thought had been said out loud but maybe hadn't been heard. You know, all of those kind of, the stuff that you can't see. I think what we're talking about here is as much clarity in a very simple and straightforward way as possible will make it easier for you, whether you're being managed or the manager. And if you do need to do this in a one-to-one way, I think it would also work one-to-one as well. Though I, I think this is probably designed for teams. I could imagine having conversations with somebody in my team on these kind of headers. And I think you could adapt and evolve this so you're using the right words for you in the right areas too. Well, I just think it's quite an emotional situation it as is, well, yeah. quite a triggering one in terms of, you know, what does this mean for our friendship? Are you better than me? Am I not as good? as There's quite a few things I think that little confidence gremlins could emerge. So I think if this is you in this situation... It is worth just taking a step back and doing something we've talked about before, which is almost like dividing a piece of paper in two and getting the noise that's in your head onto this bit of paper and on one side write all the facts of the situation and then mm. write all of the feelings because I would hazard a guess that a lot of what might be going in your head might be a lot of feeling-associated stuff, which you would respond to perhaps differently to some of the facts of a situation. So Sarah cut me off in a meeting. That might be a fact that I could give Sarah feedback on. 
I'm threatened by Sarah's success is a feeling that I need to deal with differently. And I think that could be useful. I also think, and this is probably informed a little bit by mine and Sarah's situation, because I think at times we sort of end up managing each other a little bit to get stuff done. Like on, you know, one of us will take the lead on a certain initiative or project and you're sort of trying to, you know, lead the, manage the other person to completion. And I would say that one of the things that helps us in this situation is to fix friction fast. So mm. when we do spot that, we are stepping on each other's toes or when something that someone is doing is creating a problem for the other person. I think we are quite good at calling that pretty quickly and thinking about the whole being bigger than the sum of the parts. So this isn't about you're not doing it well. This is, there's a way that we could do this better for the business. I think it's that sort of, when you have that kind of open objective perspective, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about us and the we and the business and the team then I think you can sort of be more open to fixing that free that friction fast without the emotion perhaps getting in the way of it I think you say we're good at that now but we weren't I think we've intentionally got better at that and when I was thinking about this for in my own experiences I think I've had managers where they are now I would classify them as like really good friends the level five friendship but when they were managing me I think they were always a step away from that and that was absolutely fine. I sort of, and even I didn't feel the need to be best friends with my boss, but I had always got a really strong connection and relationship as, and I felt like I understood them. And I think they understood me. It's interesting that all the managers who've gone on to sort of go from the level four to five were always in that category before when they were managing me, but they didn't move to sort of the final level of friendship until our dynamic changed. And I think that's probably a healthy thing. That's probably a good thing because, and I remember someone saying this to me once, and also, this has happened to me, and for in both ways, you never quite know as a manager what messages you might have to communicate and the decisions you might have to make. And someone said, just make sure, Sarah, you could always be in a position where you might have to make someone's role redundant. And I, I have had managers who are now very, very good friends who have had to make my role redundant before, and they're very good friends now with me. And that that has happened. They've had to have those conversations with me. And I just wonder if you were at that like level five friendship, that's an incredibly hard thing emotionally to do. But if you're sort of just at the I understand you and you've got the trust and the mutual connection, then then great. So I think that was actually something that always really stayed with me that might sound quite harsh. But I always remember thinking, well, at any point, that person might have to do that. And at any point in the roles where I was a manager, I might have to do that too and sometimes I manage people that I knew really well or were friends with other people that I knew outside of work and I knew that sometimes I might just have to make those difficult decisions or have those tough conversations so I just think there's a difference in those friendships about you know what we're saying about in the moment what feels like the right thing to do but it doesn't have to stay that way you know like our relationships are changing aren't they yeah I I agree I think some level of boundary is Mm. useful for both of you particularly when you spend so much time at work and then if that work contact has become a friendship there's a lot you can be quite you know over reliant on that and actually I think both people need a bit of a boundary in it and so our last conundrum is about friendship in a competitive environment so if you feel like you're working in quite a win-lose environment perhaps or it just feels generally quite high achieving and highly ambitious how does that work can you still create connections in that kind of environment or is it every I was gonna say man every man person for themselves 
And what does that look like? How can you do that effectively? Well, and I found you, just being you, better you, than everyone is the way to win. <laughs> I think that's just, if I'm that's just better. That's not what you said. I know, that's not what you I actually, said. You were, we were talking about this one before and you actually have some very good advice, which I think is, your advice is probably the answer, but it's sort of one of those easier said than done things. So I think you should say that first. Well, I think regular listeners will know that I have this <laughs> quote that I ascribe to, which is to run your own race. But I think the reason that I end up repeating that quote so much is that it's not just a pithy statement. It's something that I genuinely believe in. Like I don't, I'm not a particularly competitive person. Like there's, I have lots of different traits that probably aren't amazing, but um, I don't, I don't find any value in competing with people. I want to, I want to do my best, and I want other people to do their best, and I want to champion them to do it. And so, if Sarah and I are going up, let's say Sarah and I are going up against some award together, and it's for entrepreneurs, and they said that we can't enter it together, and only one of us can win it. And if I entered it, Sarah'd love Sarah'd be like, "Well, I'm going to win that, Helena, because Sarah's way more competitive than me." But I would like totally do my best, and I would like I would go for it. But then, if I didn't get it. I wouldn't let my disappointment be something that got in the way of my happiness at Sarah's development. That just like, it's not a thing that's in with me. So this one I find tricky because I don't think it's not a conundrum for me. I don't go head. I wouldn't go head to head with anyone. I'd go head oh, to head really with myself. I know. I know you are. It's, really, it's very different for us. Yeah. Though I think I have also been in environments that sometimes set you up to think in this way. And that is not always a good thing you know if you're putting cohorts of people or maybe you're even going through like programs where it's like oh well, some people get promoted before others or if you're in a very grade orientated environment which I have been in in lots of organizations and I think sometimes that if you are already competitive it sort of reinforces that competition because essentially it compares you to other people and so it takes I think confidence to let go of that it certainly took me like being confident in myself and quite self-aware to go, okay, well, it's not about who gets there first. That's actually really ladder-like thinking. It's not about how far and fast I progress versus other people. It's about, am I progressing in a way that's meaningful and motivating to me? And I think there was a real tipping point in my career where I sort of let go of competing versus others versus being my best. And actually that it yeah. feels very different. And I'm still really competitive and I love to win. But I think I now see the kind of the win-lose in a work environment in a very different way to say a sporting environment where you do win or lose. And I've even, I've started playing netball again. And the whole point of that was to play netball in a very relaxed environment. But even then I find it really hard losing, but it's good for me. It's good to have like an outlet for that competitiveness that is in me. So our idea for action here is we were trying to think about if you're in quite a competitive environment, what could be helpful? And I think anything that helps you to understand who people are before you get into like what everyone's doing and where everyone's going is really helpful. So you can kind of connect with the who before you worry about, well, what job's Helen doing and who's going to get that promotion? And we use an activity called More About Me. And this is a free 10-minute tool that we have on our website with under our free toolkit. Obviously, we'll include the link as part of the podcast. And this really is starting to get clues as to people's values. I don't think you have to do values because that might feel like too much of a leap. And I think it can feel a bit abstract for some people. But it's an activity that sort of gets you closer to what's important to people, what motivates and drives you. So the sorts of things that we talk about in More About Me are, and you would fill this out for yourself, are I work best when, skills I bring to the team are, come to me if you need help with, 
one thing I'd like help with, and a piece of career advice I found useful. And if you create any sort of sense of that chance to sort of just get to know almost like the fundamentals of who someone is and what matters to them, whether it's this or Helen's talked before about um, creating a Spotify playlist where everyone talks about a song that's important to them or whether you do a show and tell, anything that I think almost zooms you out away from, oh, we're competing in the day-to-day for jobs or work or projects and actually, no, we're sort of caring about who we all are, I think helps to remind us of that sense of, you know, like we are all human. Mm. It reminds us of like the humanity without wanting to be too like dramatic about it. And also to encourage people to sort of do what's best for them versus getting anywhere close to, you know, like comparison and competition in an unhealthy way. It's just only bad for people. It's bad for our stress and our anxiety sort of no no good ever comes from it certainly that I've not seen well it makes me think that quote that I like the running your own race one I think those questions help you to understand what race other people are running like what Mm. what is important to them what matters to them because sometimes you assume that you're all going after the same things for the same reasons and I think that is rarely true that everybody has different meaning and motivation that they bring to their work and those sort of more about me questions give you the chance to understand that empathize with it support it recognize that they don't win at your loss or you know that actually there's different ways we can win together for the reasons that you said I think it really helps to ask those questions to find that out and then the last very short thing because we thought it was funny or I thought it was funny was some people did ask us about starting a business with a friend don't Um, do it no joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I quite enjoy sort of antsy Helen on the end of a end of a long day. Um, well, lots of people say exactly what Helen just said is don't do it. So don't start a business with friends or family because people have people do have really bad falling out. And I've I've been given advice loads of times with people saying to me where perhaps they don't know Helen quite as well. They'll say, "Well, what would you do?" almost like what what happens if Helen does something and and you end up sort of splitting up almost and I was thinking oh why has that never been a challenge for us and I think one of the things that is helpful is to do worst case scenario planning and this sounds like it wouldn't be fun but actually it is also quite fun and you're asking yourself questions like okay so what are we going to do if we disagree on a big decision And then you might want to get really specific. So I think, you know, well, what happens? We've had this conversation before. What happens if one of us wants to leave Amazing If? You know, those things where you sort of go, almost like in my wildest dreams, I can't sort of imagine some of the things that we have talked about ever happening, but it is better to talk about them and then just to figure out where do our heads both go in those scenarios? And I think what you and I have worked out, and we've we've done this loads of different times, you know, just like talking hypothetically and just sort of imagining is we've both realised, oh, well, our friendship always comes first. And like for us, that just happens to be true because we've known each other for such a long time and we were friends for such a long time before we've run a business. So I think we just both have that confidence, unless she's about to tell me otherwise, <laughs> that our our friendship will always be more important. Yeah. But I do think if you do want to do something with a friend, having those chats up front is really helpful. Not seeing those as a negative, seeing those as a really useful thing. And also just agreeing almost to Helen's previous point about what race are you running? Because that is the other thing I think has helped both of us is I've always felt like we're very different. You know, we definitely both want different things from our life, but we're sort of running the same race in terms of what we're trying to achieve at Amazing If and what's most important to us at Amazing If and our values at Amazing If. So we've sort of got these anchors that are sort of bigger than us. Even when we're talking about podcasts before we get started, we'll 
sometimes say, oh, we're not sure about that bit, or I'm not sure I like that bit. And we use our values or we'll ask each other questions. And we're just so used to doing that, that I think it never falls foul of ever feeling like we're not going to end up friends at the end of a podcast or even in some of our toughest weeks and there have been some tough weeks I think it's fair to say in the last couple of years I have never felt anywhere close to thinking oh this is going to affect our friendship and so I mean that's I think testament to us we should be positive about our friendship <laughs> well, I don't think you're not one mind and one voice are you there's a no. one one last thing that I came across that said that to, in order to understand what each party needs to manage the friendship tension you've got to get this balance between the freedom to be independent of each other but then the freedom to be dependent on each other there's this really interesting that's like, really nice it's re- I feel, and I feel I think because freedom's one of my values I look at that and go oh that's friendship for me like where are we independent of each other where are we two different minds and two different voices and where are we dependent on each other because ultimately that's the foundation of trust in the relationship oh and on that note I'm like oh we've, we've been from quite a nice spiky at the start end. to a, 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 a squiggly conclusion where we're no still, one, we're people might have stopped listening by now so no one actually ever heard like the, the, the fact we actually got positive by the end <laughs> oh but, well all the links because Sarah mentioned the Reed Hoffman video to the teamwork canvas some of the resources that we've got in they'll all be in the pod sheet you can get the pod sheet they'll be in the links to the show notes so that's largely easy to find on Apple I think but if you ever can't find any of the resources that we create you can either sign up for Podmail or you can just go on our website where we're amazingif.com and if you go to the podcasts tab at the top of the website you'll be able to find everything there so that's everything for this week as always if you've got any topics or ideas or questions please do get in touch with us but we'll speak to you again soon bye for now bye everybody up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com.